as an entrepreneur or, or anybody trying to increase their net worth, you have to learn something yourself. Whoever you want to be like, you want to hang around those people. If you seek that out and do it humbly and not like, hey, this is how awesome I am, people are pretty receptive to bringing you under their wing or like, hey, let's talk or, you know what I'm saying? I think that's the big thing. I think being real. Welcome to the Cashflow Bros Podcast, uh, Rock Sandretto. Thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate dude, it. I'm super excited. So we've known each other for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, probably like more from a distance, you know, I think we had a mutual friend, right. we were both, you were getting, I was in photography, you were getting into photography. Yeah. We kind of had a few connections. You blew up, you were traveling across the country, like shooting Good some stuff in like, <laughs> you know, amazing, like national parks and stuff like that. And just, uh, did a phenomenal job at that. And through that though, I kind of learned that you had done some business and stuff. And then we reconnected recently and I was yeah. like, I've got to have you on the podcast because the amount of the wealth of knowledge that you have is just crazy about businesses and kind of what happens in Birmingham. And um, so kind of wanted to dive into that. And I appreciate you taking the time to, to be yeah, here. Dude. One thing I want to add to that. So when I first started photography, you can learn anything on YouTube. But I reached out to so many Alabama photographers to just try to be like, hey, can I shadow? Can I learn anything? And um there was two, uh, Blake Raymond, which is, you know, Blake, and uh, was one of my buddies. And then you, we went and shot one day and just being around you because you have shot for so long. I remember just, I was soaking up so much knowledge, mm -hmm. dude. So it really helped out, man. And and you were already a successful photographer at the time. So for you to take time and, and deal with somebody that's just starting, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was just, um, there was a couple of people and I remember it always rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, all these people that were successful yeah. in, in Alabama, I would reach out and just cold chill, you know, nobody's yeah. helping out at all, um, which I hated that. Yeah, it is kind of it. unfortunate. I mean, it was, it's very competitive, you know. Very, I think, yeah. you know, what's interesting is th as the cameras, honestly, the technology got better and better, yeah. um, you had to have less ability and more about, you know, other parts of photography, which are super important, you yes, know, the, yes, the relational yes. side yeah. and getting people to feel comfortable and all that kind of stuff. But I think it just makes put people on their guard of like, I don't want to help this person out versus like, I always work from a place of abundance. Like yeah, there's plenty of business plenty. for all of us right. and you have a voice that I don't have. Right. And so why would I even deprive people of, of that voice? So. That's my, my, that's my thing, man. I always want to treat people like I would want to be treated. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I helped out tons of, of photographers that were just starting because I just remember that feeling of being yeah. like, dude, nobody's helping me. You yeah, know what I'm saying? that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So let's take it back to just kind of a little bit of your story, how you and your wife, you know, from early years to how you guys ended up starting a salon, and we'll kind of just go from there. So. Let's go. Every time Brittany hears me on a podcast, she's like, that's not the true story. <laughs> so I'm like, just going to give it my She wants to be <laughs> sitting here and just be like, actually, let me yeah. tell you how it is. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Oak Grove, which is um, outside of Hueytown, Alabama, um, small town. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a um, worked at the college, uh, and so they all went to, went to college and everything like that. And that was kind of like expected of all of us kids. Well, out of high school, um, I got on drugs real bad, and um, so I kind of went down that path. I dropped out of, of college and started going that path, and. Um, while I was trying to clean myself up, this is probably, like I said, I'm probably butchering this, but three, four year period, maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, I started trying to clean myself up and um, Brittany, my wife, uh, was best friends with my sister, Brittany, and both Brittany's. And I remember she came to the house and 
um, she, I totally pursued her and she'll tell you that, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like the other way around. Um, but yeah, so we started hitting it off and, um, we started dating. And then during that time of dating, she didn't know that I was still, I was taking methadone, which is like a, it's like I was on Oxycontins and then methadone's supposed to be like the, there's like methadone clinics around. Yeah, and so yeah. It's supposed to help you. The science behind it is supposed to help you. And that's the way I took it. I did the research behind it and I was like wanting to take it like it was supposed to be taken. Anyways, um, went to, uh, had a DUI and I had to go to drug court, failed my drug test in court with my mom sitting there. It was terrible. I had to go to jail or for like 20, uh, it was 48 hours, two days. Yeah. Um, started detoxing in jail. Anyway, me and Brittany were dating at the time. Um, I didn't want to tell her why I failed the drug test. So I was yeah. like, I failed for weed, you know, just to kind of like, I thought that to kind of tone it down a little bit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I mean, you know, still a drug, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so, um, she stuck with me and I went through detox, two weeks of detox. And it was, it was hell, man. Detox was, was, um, miserable. Uh, I told my parents to lock me in the house. So like they all helped out uh, yeah. during that time and we were broken up, you know, she was like, I'll stay with you while you detox and try to help you. Get, Cause I just needed a, a friend, you know, yeah. somebody that, like to be there. She stayed with me that whole time and I got clean. We ended up staying together, which is amazing. Um, she's an amazing girl. She loves the Lord. Um, she's helped me tremendously through my life. But, uh, yeah, so I was probably clean about a year. We get pregnant. We have our first kid. We get married. Mm -hmm. uh, She's like a couple months pregnant. We yeah. get married really fast. Yeah. Um, that daughter is now 16. So we've been together 17 ish years something like awesome. that, or married around that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, so we had her, we have three other kids now. Um, but at the time when we started our first business was, um, in 2015, um, I worked in a coal mine, so I was a coal miner for seven years, I think, um, underground. Um, I was an electrician, and I was I was like, hey, this is life, right? I was like, I accepted, like, I'm going to be a coal miner. I'm going to retire from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting because you had mentioned earlier about being an electrician. I was like, I didn't remember that. Yeah. So you were an electrician in the coal mines. Yes. So what, rigging up things? And yeah, kind so of like uh, troubleshooting. Sure. Yeah, so okay. like if a miner goes down um, – <clears throat> The Lord really like watched out for me though during that that thing because I got moved to a it's like a production where all the coal comes like seven miles underground it comes all the way down to where I am and then yeah. it shoots out you know to the surface and so for the last like two years of that maybe three I was down there the only electrician down there um, and man it was a, it was a union job um, I started going back to college because I wanted to be an engineer a mechanical engineer so. I was reading all the time. I didn't really have to work unless something happened. But if something happened, I had to be able to fix it really fast because it's money, you know. So yeah, yeah, like if it's down. But you're literally in the coal mines reading your textbooks, bro. Yeah, textbooks. <laughs> I read through the whole Bible, man. I, I had the Bible down there, and I was just like, I read through the whole Bible. I mean, I read so many books. It was amazing, though. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the people. It was. It was. I, looking back at it, I was there. I think to. Um, help encourage and, 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 um, positive light maybe. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just a different type of, of person, which yeah. is, is fine. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of accepted that I would be down there. And then towards the end of that, which was in 2015, September, 2015, a few months prior to that, Brittany wanted to open a salon. And so we were kind of praying through that of like, you know, do we open a salon? Like, how do we do all this? And um, sure enough, man, it was during 21 days of prayer. We kind of figured out, hey, we're going to open this salon and get all this going. And um, I was praying about staying on the at the mines because we just didn't know how the business would do. 
versus me quitting and trying to do something else. Because the coal mines, were, we had a decent living. Like, we were we were okay. Um, I, th- I feel like we were below our means, so we had some little room. Yeah. And um, during that 21 days towards the end, we were praying, and, and there's a lot more to this story, but it was like I felt like a God just being like, quit your job type thing. And I remember I was driving, and I remember where I was on it. It was a forty, like a, it was a fifty-minute drive from two eighty to Oak Grove to where I had to go to the coal mines. And um, man, it was like a, just this real voice type thing of like, quit your job, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but we which been, is not common for like I'm going to start a business and no, quit my job. No, at the same dude, time. It was, it was, it was. Um, but it was one of those decisions too. It was a peaceful decision yeah. because I knew that that. The Lord, like we felt confident that that He was going to guide this through, and so we did, man. Two weeks to the, I put my two weeks notice in, and two weeks later we opened the, the salon. Our first location was off of Valleydale. Um, I remember, yeah, and, yeah, and uh, six chairs. So it was a small salon, and um, the Lord, man, it was just it grew and kept growing, kept growing. I was front desk for a while, dude. I shampooed hair, bro. Yeah. Did what it took, I mean, man. I did whatever it took. Man. <laughs> Brittany was working her tail off, like she was behind the chair. I don't know. I mean, it was a lot, man. Yeah. She was always working. And so we yeah, that was our first business in twenty fifteen. And then So it, so I want to stop you yeah. there because you, you talked about some of your early life, some of the struggles. Mm-hmm. Then you talk about the coal mining, which is probably its own struggle. Like, yeah. you know, that is a hard life. And um talk to me through I just hear this stream of resilience that prepared you for the entrepreneurship. I don't know if you would have potentially had the stay with power because we, you and I both yeah. know the entrepreneur journey can be really tough, tough really yeah. lonely sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, talk me through that a little bit about what those early years maybe helped inform the next. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think the first week we were open when I saw, and the, again, this is just pretty much Brittany doing hair, but when I saw the amount that came in, it wasn't huge by any means, but it was like, I was like, okay, our family will be okay. Like we're going to live tight, but we're going to, we're going to make this through. And I also knew it was the right decision to do. And I knew numbers like Excel. I love Excel. Um, and I, like I dropped out of school again I was on the Dean's list the second time going back for engineering. So I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. But I learned so much. Honestly, it was really just with Excel. Like, cause I had to take all this like basic classes, you know, <laughs> dude, I learned so much. So, so when we opened the business, I was able to just do so much stuff. We still didn't have a system for how to pay because it's a commission based salon. Right. So you hear there's tons of different ideas on how you pay commissions and stuff like that. So it was that learning curve of trying to figure out how we want to structure our business model uh, to be able to. Um, our big thing was we wanted to our employees to be taken care of so good that they're not worried. We'd never worry about okay, they're going to go to the next salon or, or whatever. If you can take care of your employees, it was you know everything works perfect. So that I think learning those through that first year of letting people go that I probably maybe not have, should have let go or. or or all these struggles with different team members that were kind of like that resistance, and, and it, you know maybe they should have been let go a long time ago, but trying to deal with it. Um, now everything has a system. Like our, our whole business has a certain system that we follow as a playbook now. But I remember back then, man, it was hard, and it was we never went without. We had six months saved up, so we pulled that down, and then in six months we started paying ourselves, and so it it really just it flowed perfectly. Um, I was still working a lot more than I am now, of course, but 
it was just that building up of that and seeing in and it's a cash flow business. So seeing payroll, man, when you write a payroll check and you're like, oh, wow, the bank account's super low right now. It was you really high. Yeah. Now it's low. It's like, that was a lot of money we're paying out. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And, um, man, there were so many struggles with that first uh, going. I mean, I remember one time, man, it was, I can't remember what year. It was in that beginning time, man, like one of our payrolls bounced, you know? And, and it was like, and we were writing live, you know, checks to everybody, handing them out. And one of the girls called us, one of our stylists, and was like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember me and Brittany, we were at Railroad Park. I think we just had coffee right there at the um, that coffee shop. But I remember we were just in the, in the car, and I remember it was like, we were just like in tears. Like, what are we doing, you know? Like, and to work through all that now and, and to understand you got to have a cash, a lot of cash in the bank just to flow through and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, man, I think there's a lot of lessons like that I can – it was such a rough time because, like you said, it's so hard in the beginning stages especially. We didn't have any friends that had businesses. So our network of even talking to somebody was non-existent. Um, and it was just me and Brittany kind of figuring this stuff out, you know. How cool hard. is it that you had each other, though? It was really— You know, I think if she didn't have you and vice versa, yeah. it, it would have been a really tough and maybe unsuccessful business. Yeah, I, I agree. And, it, you know— we talk a lot on this podcast about your network is your net worth. And like, you know, maybe it wouldn't have calmed every single storm that first year, but if you had had one or two other previous salon owners or someone else who owned a business, like you could have, you could have shortcut some of those things, but luckily you made it, We made <laughs> which it. is great. <laughs> and to add to that, what we ended up doing, it was the end of year one, we hired a consulting firm. Oh, okay. So that network that you're talking about, we pretty much paid for that network. They came in, taught us our business models, our pricing, how we uh, do level systems. So really, we didn't have anybody. And then it was like one of our reps came in and was like, hey, have you heard of this consulting firm? And we're like, no. But anyway, we flew to Tampa, and it was everything we wanted for our employees. Because it wasn't for us ever about like, hey, I want to be a millionaire or anything like that. Yeah. Ours was like, I don't care, man. I'll make a decent living. Let's let's pay for our family. But I want my people to be Take care making of people. big money. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so the consult that that consulting group, their playbook was like that. So we adopted so many rule uh, things from them, and then we kind of made them our own now, of course. But that's awesome. Yeah, Pivoted, was, tweaked a few things yeah, and man. stuff. What has that role of getting knowledge, information, educating yourself? Wh- how has that played in your entrepreneur journey? Like every time you come into like a roadblock do you seek like something like that like a service that's going to consult or you reach out to a friend or how has that evolved in you you know getting over the hurdles of being an entrepreneur yeah I think a lot of times you get stuck or like you're saying you hit this roadblock or some issue comes up and you're like what in the world are we supposed to do here um now I think I think we've done it not saying we're not going to hit those spots. But, but now I think ever, or most of the roadblocks we hit now, we've faced them before. So we're able to kind of jump through that. Um, we have a franchise that we bought, um, and we're closing it down. And me and you talked about that at, at lunch. And, yeah. and so I reached out to another one of my buddies that owns a franchise in Atlanta, um, and just kind of talked him through like, cause contractual, you're, you're kind of bound to this franchise. They have royalties mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So that was a hurdle three weeks ago that I was like, bro, what are they, are they going to make me pay all these? Like, how do yeah. we end this business type thing? And um, so, yeah, I think, but that grew over years of doing business where you start having some sort of a network of people that have done the same thing. But those first years, bro, you don't have anybody unless you seek that out, unless you're like, I'm going to find a group. I'm going to listen to these podcasts, you know, or whatever it is. I think, I think people 
sometimes we give up on self knowledge. Like like we want some like the tax code. We'd rather trust a CPA or somebody instead of learning it ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Just because it's a lot of work. So I think you you have to grow smarter. So you have to feed yourself things, read books and stuff like that, that you're going to grow personally anyways. But then you also need to have a network of people, like you mentioned earlier, that you can lean on too. And in certain times of like, wow, this is over my head, or this is the first time I've seen this hurdle. Like, what, how do I get past this? Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think as an entrepreneur or, or anybody trying to increase their net worth, I think you have to learn something yourself. You can't be so codependent on like, oh, this dude's cool. I'm going to give him some cash and we're going to make some money on the side. You've got to understand the deal. Like, hey, let's look at this deal. You can't just, any investment, you can't go in blindly. I think if you do that, you don't do your due diligence and you're, you you're setting yourself work. up. You yeah. got to put in the work. Yeah. One thing I want to, I want to go to, you built that photography business. This was kind of like after the salons were going, you're like, hey, I'm yeah, going to do photos do and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you did that for a while. Yeah. And, um, but it blew up. I mean, yeah, you did a phenomenal job at that networking, getting popular on Instagram, all that kind of stuff. The salon, I think, has done well because yeah. you and Brittany are good networkers mm-hmm. and great at marketing yourselves. Um, but in a very organic way, I think y'all are very likable people. What are some of the the secrets to how you besides like I can't be rock, okay, <laughs> but I can be me. Right. But what are some of the things that you have found that have helped you grow your network and helped you connect with people and helped you build those important relationships so quickly? For, this is me speaking. I think I think this is what's helped me and. I think as a, it's so easy when everything is good to be like, hey, look what I did. You know, and have that kind of, well, our, our salon or our businesses are doing this, you know, having that mentality. And now when I meet other investors or people that are putting together deals, if somebody has this aura that they think that they're just amazing, to me, that's a turnoff, right? So I think being humble, first of all, going in with good questions. I think I hate when, when somebody asks you to lunch and they want to learn about something and the, and, the, and the questions are just pointless. You're like, you know what I'm saying? I could have bought my own lunch. I, got to, I didn't have to spend this time with you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I think having that humbleness of approaching people too, because a lot of people are willing to help, especially in, in an investing world. I don't think it's so cutthroat like photography was back in the day or, or whatever like that. I mean, I, th- I think there's still some people that kind of yeah. you know, close it off a little bit, but there's so many deals out there and it's just networking with the right people. And I think when you, a good thing to remember is whoever you want to be like, you want to hang around those people. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You want to have your close people that you can have those high level conversations with finances. Cause that's like a taboo subject. Nobody really talks finances, but you, you want to have like a group of people like that. So if you seek that out and do it humbly and not like, Hey, this is how awesome I am. I think people are pretty receptive to bringing you under their wing or like, Hey, let's talk or, you know what I'm saying? I think, I think that's the big thing. I think being real, I hate fake dudes, man. I hate when somebody, or same thing with the, I like, like, pastors that are real people and they don't have this aura about them that are like, hmm, I never, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just want real people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people want is genuine, uh, genuine people is like, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if that's what connects people, I think, um, is just being real, you know? Yeah. I love it. And I think it proves in your life. I mean, we saw, we kind of reconnected at church. Yeah. 
we saw each other in hall. I mean, we didn't see each other forever. And Years, I was like, dude. rock, like yeah. gave you a hug. And in that moment, like, I didn't feel like there was anyone more important than me. Yeah. That we, yeah. when we were talking, like yeah. you were very good um, at focusing on that person and saying like, you have my attention, you have my time. This like, you're, you're very good at that. And I think that brings, like you said, that between the humility and then that intention, like you bring value to that person and then it just helps relationships blossom. Thank so. you, man. I think, I think it's big too. Like hearing what you're doing now pumps me up, bro. Just because like, I want every, every, I want everybody to succeed. Yeah. Like that's my personality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I want everybody to know too, you got to put some work in. Like, it's just like, like when somebody comes to you with an idea and they're like, Hey, this is the idea. And you're like, well, go do it. And then you <laughs> don't do it. That drives me insane. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, bro, this was a perfect idea. Great business model. Yeah. But everybody's too scared to take that. It's step, just the work. Is, yeah. 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 It's the work. It, it was, it was funny that John David, uh, you know, John David pretty yeah. well, and he's a brilliant guy and this is not a knock on him at all, uh, but he's so smart with tech. Like he could just, we'd come up against problems in the tech world and he just solve it. And we're like, this is super all early on before podcasts were like crazy popular and all that. And we're like, John David, you could have like a million followers of people just solving their tech problems, like some tech podcast thing. And he's like. Yeah, but who has the time? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, million dollar idea. Yeah, it's like, but it is, it's so funny. It's like, I would say but it, we all have these ideas, these yeah. inspirations, like, yeah, we could drive, but who has the time and who's going to put in the work? That's the big you thing, You know, man. who's going who's gonna to put and the most effort most Americans in. will not do that. Yeah. It's, so. it's crazy. It's, it's, you know, you see people coming from another country, coming into America and do amazing, and I love it. I'm like this American dream. Yeah. But then we have so many people in our that are Americans that are afraid for some reason or another to step out and make that step. And I'm not saying like be completely dumb with it, but no. like make us some kind of a plan and, and try to stick see it through, you know. It's, Do you find so when I made my jump to full time, you know, real estate and being an entrepreneur and um everything, I found retrospect what was incredibly scary was not as scary as it was did you find that too for your journey like obviously you you quit the job you felt led to and then you just like all in on the salon which potentially could have helped its success you could have shortchanged it by not doing that move but did you find that a year in although it was hard it wasn't as the things maybe you were scared of weren't things you should have been scared of yeah i think we do that a lot though i think we always as a human we always run through every negative play, you know what I'm saying, in our head, and we're just, like, running yep. every bad scenario that we never run the good scenarios, you know what I'm saying, like the pros and cons, like freedom with your family. And and, and I think that's, too, I think I think you have to figure out what's important is, is like, passive income for me now is not to to grow my wealth, but it's, it's for my family. I want to spend more time with my kids and, and really be a father and just – I don't want to be one of those guys that work all the time, like 60-hour work weeks, never see their kids because they're making money. Money to me is not that object of the end goal. Right. Mine is is I want my family to be close after the kids are gone. I won't. So I'm investing in that, you know, and I think to do that, you got to have a goal in, in your head of why am I really launching this business or, or this idea? Is it f- just for financial gain, you know, or is it for – 
spend more time with your kids or to play golf more. You know, like you got to figure out what your why behind what you're even doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people might give up. They, they, they see it as a value of money, which is not a bad thing. But then like, what is that money going to do for you? Is it, is it, you know, to, to give to the poor? Is it, is it, to, I want to give to the church. I want to, you know, philanthropy is it, or is it, I just want to get as rich as I can, you know? Right. And I think that is a deciding factor too. <clears throat> of, to me, it seems like of how successful you'll be, not just financial, but family too. Like you can look at a lot of financially successful men and then how is their home life? It might be amazing, but if you're working that much and you can't give time to your kids, you know, Could it's not like, be. what is it? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What are you doing it for? What, what are some best practices that you found to develop your why? And cause you've started lots of different businesses. You've, you've obviously, you know, had to develop that kind of individual i mean over overarching there's probably a why right yeah for sure but then it's like why are we doing this specific business yeah what are some best practices you've done to answer those questions for your for you and Brittany? yeah for me personally i think uh, i know what our why is personally and this is why we keep launching businesses and we and we have our structure set up our big thing now is is we're big in the IBC, so the infinite banking concept. So our whole why now is I want my grandkids to be taken care of. I want to have my trust set up. I want all this stuff to play right. Um, but in order for all that to play right, just because you're leaving money, if you're forfeiting time with your kids, and they're going to be the managers of, the, of that money, you know, before it runs to their yep. kids. So it'd be like a business where you're, you're not telling your employees anything and you're like, I'm just going to grow it as big as I can, you know? But if you're not leading somebody into that growth phase or, or, Hey, when I'm gone, this is how it has to run. Uh, you're just, you're failing. You're making a lot of wealth now, but dude, you, there's, when you, when you have money, there's not like anything that you're like, this is going to make me happier. You know what I'm saying? Like if I get a new car or if I go on these trips, this, it's, it's, it's not a, to me, it's not a happiness factor of like, I got to make X amount of money. Mine is more so what trips can I take with my kids? And in our, in our, we have a meeting almost every trip of our business structure, our trust, and we go over our core values as a family. So I think, it's awesome. I think people leaving those parts out, um, if they're trying to set up this whole trust and, and all yeah. this stuff to me is just a, a, a dumb thing. But yeah, you know, I think back to, there's a, podcast or not a podcast a, a post I saw the other day and it was like labeling like five things that um you know high net worth or high successful in households do for their kids and one is the education piece yeah. you know is is really owning that I am the primary educator of my family and how can I show them about financial wealth and talk about it and let them ultimately you're taking that responsibility so that they're the individuals who will manage that wealth properly rather than, you know, spend it on things that are just not worth it um, or get them into trouble. Because we know with opportunity, obviously there, there comes the potential for poor choices, you know? So I think, I think having that planned out, like in ours, we have poor, like in our trust, like we have, if if a kid ever gets on drugs for, you know, God forbid, but there's all kind of, and I think structuring all that out of of being able to do that and, um, yeah, I think that's just so important, man. I think it's a big thing. So for a business mm-hmm. tomorrow, you, you set out, I'm going to start a business. Mm-hmm. 
how do you dissect the why for that specific business? That's, yeah, that's a good question. So we'll take our hair company because we are, we launched our hair company this past year. Um, so our hair company sells hair extensions. And the original part to that was because our salon was buying it from a supplier. And by the time it ends up end user to our to our consumer, um, it's marked up so much. There's no, there's the salon makes no money off of the hair itself, um, and the clients are paying outrageous amounts. So we sourced our own supplier, and we're getting it at a lot cheaper rate. But we're able to sell it cheaper than what it would if we bought somebody else's hair. Try to sell it in our salon. So I think for that it was it was solving a problem, right? Because we had this problem. Um, not necessarily. I mean, it, it, we we're still making money, but it was like it could have been better. Yeah. And so, and Brittany actually saw this part, and so she started sourcing. But um, finding that that switch of of why are we doing it, and even today we were, we were talking uh, the other day about like what's our our marketing strategy, like what what is the why behind us doing this, and for us in that industry and in this one particular business, the stylist are the ones that are going to be uh, putting it in somebody's hair, right? So so they're going to get this hair, sew it in, and put it in somebody's hair. If the stylists don't like it, they're not going to buy the product. Mm-hmm. Ours, we had 40 stylists trying out our hair while we were sourcing it all. So we put so much effort in the stylists, like what their opinions were. The R&D. Were. R&D, yes. Beautiful. So we were able – we had a great place to be able to push that out in R&D in our own salon – uh, without that fear of shipping it out and it totally, you know, sucking and then getting all this negative feedback, we've spent a year and a half just in our own place, you know. So I think, I think each business has its own why. I think the the we still can like we have an Amazon business, so we, we're still launching businesses. Um, but for me, you like the structure of like the Amazon business of why we're doing that. To me, the why behind that business is simply uh, family structure. I want I want to go into our holding company and our trust and all that. So that's just to keep growing that, you yeah. know, honestly. I mean, it's just you're buying goods and selling them. Yeah. But it's nothing like I'm doing it for a value of I want an extra 10 grand a month to right. live. I mean, uh, that's mainly for succession planning. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, still, that's a why. It's a why, yeah. You know, you ultimately, you're like, I'm in a position where I can set this up. It's pretty automated. Yeah. I have the leverage of being a part of a mastermind or being a part of this group that can help teach me how to do it. Yeah. I can pay for those resources. Mm-hmm. I can front the money. And long term, it's going to benefit the bigger why. So I just yeah. need more cash. I'm going to create a business to create more cash. But on the side of the hair thing, you had a leverageable business that would pair with a new business and it was like a beautiful thing that made it super successful for Dude, you it guys was. it was just like a perfect storm type thing so so now i want to and if you don't mind break good. into the business that you're shutting down oh yeah that shutting that didn't was not a six as much of a success do you feel like it was like why is that not working? Do you think partially it is because of a little bit of a detraction from your why, or is there other factors that kind of created that to be not what you want it to be? That's a great question, um, and it's something I'm still kind of like processing a little bit. I'm, I'm going to ask you an active question. You're <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, um, uh, this will be podcast for another year from now. <laughs> so, so we came into this business, uh, and, and like we said, every business that we start, I guess there is a why. Um, and I'm never, I don't think about that super deep on, on some of these. So, so we went in as an investment. So we have this guy that um, 
had a job, hardworking guy, um, a believer. We had a lot of the same beliefs uh, as as uh, this guy, and we wanted to kind of bless him. This was the, this was nothing about financial or us getting more money. It was really to help this guy out, which was going to be the operator. So me and a business partner put in the, the capital, mm-hmm. and then once we had our initial investment back, we were going to give him fifty percent of the company. So it's pretty much sweat equity. Mm-hmm. Um, he still gets a salary, uh, but that was that goal behind it, and it was really just to bless him and his family. Honestly, it wasn't um, to to get super wealthy or anything like that. So, so then, then I have also have a harder time of why it fell because I'm like, in my head, I'm doing this for all the right reasons. Right. Like mm. I'm like, I, it's not a selfish thing. It's really to, and, and me and my partner both, like that was our whole reason, reason was to in, invest in him. Um, the reason it failed, I think, I think, um, we put a brand new operator in a business. It's a franchise. So, so my impression, and I, I've never done a, a franchise prior to this, and I probably won't after, but um, I thought they had the playbook, and, the, and it was just like an easy playbook to run, you know? Um, and so we put this operator in, and just and I stayed on six months of, like, helping th- get things going. I think we should have probably committed a year, year and a half to me and my business partner, because he's an entrepreneur as well, just to really push into it. Right. Um, so hindsight 2020, I would have said that more so than anything. You um, didn't You didn't allot the amount of time. No. to help, you know, help dream. I had an interview yesterday um, that we were talking about onboarding processes. He does, he uh, works for an HVAC company, does a lot of acquisitions of other companies and bringing on people, hiring, firing, all that. Um, and he was like, 2X what you think it's going to be. Yeah. And the onboarding process for someone um, is just a lot longer to get them up. That that runway to get them to be a successful employee is just a lot longer. So, so that's interesting. You break apart. That could have been one of the many things. Yeah, it sounds I like the model's maybe not the best too. And maybe I mean, the business model works on paper for sure. I mean, it's like. The industry we were in was, was like mold and water remediation. So we have a huge competitor here in Birmingham. Um, I think it's just that whole perfect storm of, um, you know, it's two and a half years as to how long it stayed open. Um, it was just such a, it's not a cash flow business. So you're doing these jobs and you're waiting a while before you get the money for it. So you've got to have a lot of money just sitting there. And you would see months, man, that that eighty thousand, ninety thousand just start dwindling down. Then you get a big job and it go back up or something, you know. Talk, uh, sorry, stop you real quick. You said good. that when we were having lunch, and I don't understand the concept. When you say cash flow business, mm-hmm. I think of it as cash coming in, cash coming out. Right. Still, so what is your definition of a cash flow business, and why is that important? Yeah. Um, so cash flow would be like the salon's a, a great cash flow business. So a cash flow to me is you can operate so much more because you know every month or every week you're getting $80,000 coming in or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So you're like, you have a lot, like even if payroll is 50000 you still have excess to be able to spend whatever you need to do. And it's like that every week. So you've got this constant cash flow coming There's in. There's a consistency. You have cash. Yeah. Your account may look low Friday, but then when Saturday rolls in on Monday, it's going to go right back up or whatever. You know what I'm saying? This business would be cash strapped, I would think, uh, as a because you're waiting so long on payments, um, because you're working with insurance agencies. So it's so, more of like a quarterly or even a biannual. Almost, yeah. I mean, we're still waiting from last October. We went down to Florida, so a, over a year, we're waiting on a payment from 
a job we did in Florida uh, during the hurricane. Wow. Yeah, I know. So it's like, it's stuff like that. Now, now sometimes it's like 30 days, 30 days kind of minimum, 45 is regular, and some of them go super long, man. It's interesting because in the rental world, you know, a lot of people um, are in Section 8, and I don't know if you're familiar with, with those, but you basically, when you get a Section 8 approval for an increase, they still have to do an inspection to sign off on it. So your rate increase is at that mark date, but you don't actually get the funds mm-hmm. until they do the inspections. And currently, Section 8 is so far backlogged, these are potentially happening a year after wow. the increase. Now, they will back pay you. Okay, they do back pay? They do back pay, but you're you effectively, yeah. you're out this cash for like a potential year. Um, so it's interesting to think through even a rental standpoint, what you say is cash flow, which for the most yeah, part, unless you have a vacant yeah, tenant, yeah. it's a cash flowing yeah, like every right. month you can expect rent to yeah. come in. You know, with some of these Section 8s, these small increases, um, you know, are kind of delayed. You know, do That's they put you up a river? That. Maybe not, but but they also could require some kind of thing in the midst of it or, you know, you could need that cash. Are they st- so, they're still paying you their base, that, that original amount, right? Yeah, they're they don't stop paying. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, so if, if they increase like a, a hundred bucks a month. You'll see it recoup that. Correct. 1,200 bucks if yeah, it takes yeah. a year or something. Like that. But I've never heard about businesses thinking about the liquidity in such like um, in in calendar times, yeah, yeah, you know, of like, yeah. hey, are we on a weekly or bi-weekly cash flow basis? So you would consider that a cash flow. Yeah. And then if you're more in like, hey, we're, we're going to get hit rush of payments and then we're going to have to sit for six yeah. months potentially is not a cash flow. Anymore. Yeah, I would yeah, say, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, really you know helpful. Because you have that extra cash to be able to use it to develop your business, grow your business, whatever it is. Yeah, you know pivot. Pivot, you know? whatever you have to do. Yeah. So like with our salon, we keep a – a lot in the checking, and I don't recommend keeping money in the checking account, but with a cash flow business too, there's so many swings. Yeah. So you might as well keep whatever you feel comfortable with in the bank so you can handle all those swings for yeah, sure. Yeah. So you start a lot of businesses. Yeah. You, you, you know, I think you have a new salon location yeah, coming, coming up. up. So is this your second one? I know you moved originally. Yeah. So we had two. Okay. So, so from our first location, which was six chairs, we moved um, a couple miles down the road, you know, on 119. Right. We tried to run that at the same time and it just, Oh, bro, it was a headache, man. So we changed the business model of that to you. There's two different business models in the salon industry. It's like commission based, and then you also have like a rental, right? So, so the the stylists are renting the chair. So we turned that old one into a rental. Um, had our new salon. The new salon just took off, man. It just yeah, it blew it up. It exploded. I don't even have hair, and I wanted to go there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's good. That's a good thing. You know what we're thinking about doing? This is totally off off subject, but. Uh, I call them toupees, but they're called hair pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of my buddies, he's a plum, he has a plumbing business, and dude, I've only seen him like balding for years. He walks in the salon the other day and has a uh, headpiece on, and it looks legit, bro. Wow. Like even up close. So I was like, man, it'd be cool if we offered that for guys. Like, yeah, I don't know if I would do it, but there's a lot of guys that would, bro. Yeah. Um, the, the, so maybe that's the next business. I'm the, <laughs> you already got the company, right? You already got yeah. the hair sourcing. Start, yeah. <laughs> Just start getting this other stuff, man. <laughs> so yeah, that's been a joke. But we've we've been tossing that idea around for our next business. But 
That's awesome. Yeah, that's fun. So you you shut or you didn't shut down the other. We one. ended up you shutting just... it. Twenty twenty, we sold that build out. Okay, gotcha. We were leasing it, so yeah, we could yeah. sell the build out. Mm-hmm. So it really worked out perfect. Twenty twenty, we did that, and then How, that's so, when we opened the gym. Uh, sorry, I keep on. No, you're good, sorry. Dude. So <laughs> this is. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Rock. Slow down. Slow, slow down. down. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know you could sell. So you are you transferring the lease over, and then you're just saying like build out. We're gonna put this X value to it, right, yeah. and and maybe a little bit of like also saying like, hey, people know that a salon is at this location, so there's some value there. Not so much on that last part as yeah. far as value, but yeah, the build out. We know how, how much it costs us to do the build out. We sold it to them, of course, at a discounted rate, and then they just sublet from like we still had like a year or two on the lease, so they just okay. did a sublease. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's a way to out. exit, but it's not. Necessarily Necessarily like a you built a business and right. you're you're exiting and yeah. making a X return on yeah, your and I actual that, business right and that salon's doing great uh, they have a whole different concept they want to keep it small instead of grow which is totally cool I went by there the other day to get some mail we still get like IRS stuff there for some reason which I, doesn't yeah. make any sense but um, they're in the toupee business maybe that's yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um yeah and then 2020 that's when we bought the gym okay uh, in 2020 we bought crossfit birmingham yeah so was this already an existing gym or you this built it the out first crossfit gym in alabama oh wow dude it was uh, crossfit birmingham so you google crossfit in birmingham comes up um it was fun man uh we went in my business partner at the time he wanted to do that for a living he had already owned a gym in mccalla and he wanted to just keep growing gyms and so i went in investor side on that um, and we helped uh, systems, operations, and stuff like that. It started going really well, um, and then we sold it, uh, I guess, lot 2022, I think, is when we sold it. So we grew it a lot. Did you it. sell it to the guy? Or uh, like to, Blake, uh, to Blake to... Lindsay, uh, which is um, – he okay. went to the gym. And, okay, gotcha. And him and his wife wanted to purchase the gym. Nice. So um, okay. it was good, man. We, we made good money. We, we uh, sold it to them for – uh, which was a good price for them too, and they've grown it even more. So, so is that guy who was initially had the vision for building out gyms? Is he continuing to do gyms, or is no, he pivoted no, his he was vision? Out, dude. When when I started joining, when I joined CrossFit Birmingham, uh, it was like the guy's passion. He's been doing it so long; uh, it was just kind of gone. You yeah, know, it was like it's like a. You know, you see baby boomer businesses that were like were once this this big thing, and then the owners slowly started just kind of yeah getting burnt out, I think is what it was. So, which makes buying baby boomer businesses or any business like that a huge thing. And we're looking at buying one right now. Um, but it's the same thing. It's the same concept as, as analog stuff. Uh, you know, no, nothing's digital. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're just in that mind frame of like, I'm not going to change, you know, or yeah. I don't have that willpower to change anymore. I'm so beat down. Yeah, there was a guy I met just randomly at Chick-fil-A. I was actually having just a fun ice cream with my son and he was super nice guy he he comes up to me and he was like hey just what you're doing here is really special just good for you dad you know and I was like man that's so cool to just someone to pat you on the back for for just doing the simple things in life but I don't need it but I mean you know it's always encouraging encouraging that you're on the right path you know he's like this is this is what life is worth doing and um, so I got talking to him and he owns this carpet cleaning business and he's still like, you know, in the weeds of it, it sounds like, you know, similar to it. And I'm just like, I, I actually may have his contact number. I just, I need to find it. But there's so many people out there like that, that I'm like, I've got to buy one of those in the next like two to three years. Do you ever listen to Cody Sanchez? Oh, huge. Dude, same huge. Here. Yeah, same here. huge. Yeah, I, I, I need to 
consume more of her content. I yeah. see her mostly on clips and yeah, different, different yeah, things. Yeah. But um, I know that she's there's a ton of like I said baby boomer, boomers coming out of the business in the next like ten years. It's it's you know astronomical, and I would say a lot of them don't even know that their businesses have value, oh. and they're just going to shut them down. The the problem we ran into the the so we're starting the due diligence process on this business, and I yeah. think this would probably go in lo- along with a lot of baby baby boomer businesses is we looked at their P&Ls and it was uh, in that mindset, it was all like, hey, let's pull all the money from the company so we don't pay taxes. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and in the first couple of years of our salon, we did the same thing because that's just like what you I thought was the right way to run a business is be like, you know, but then when you need a loan, when you buy a house, and that's what happened to us, we were going to build a house and they looked at it and they're like, you don't, don't make, make any money. money. And, and you're, you're like, like, well, I do, but, but I just show I don't, you know? Um, but anyway, looking at their P&Ls, it was like top line gross was in the market where we were looking, you know, but then bottom line is like, negative a thousand bucks, you know, each month, or, you know, was just pulling all the cash out and it's so hard and they spend all their personal spending out of that account. So then you're trying to go back and I think we're going to end up having to hire. And I think we talked about this hiring a team, a, yeah, a team to come to in decipher and, yeah, and pull for uh, acquisitions. Yeah. Um, so, and I think I'm, I, I would say, uh, and this is the first baby boomer I've looked at, but I, I would imagine a lot of them have that same principle, that mindset of, of spending all your personal out of your, yeah. and, and like I said, me and Brittany were guilty of that as well in the beginning. Cause that's how we thought we did it. Um, and that's when we, the whole stewardship value came into our world of how to steward things. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I think put us on this track. We are now of, of stewardship, which is to me a huge. So how do you offset taxes now? Bro. Cause you're still doing it, right? Bro. <laughs> let me tell you. So you're, you're still showing profit on the business, but you're offsetting it Dude. other ways. I'm assuming. Yeah. So the next two years, I probably won't pay any taxes. And and this all comes back. You heard it here, IRS. Yeah. Yeah. Heard it here. <laughs> yeah. You can audit if you need to. Um, so, so I think learning taxes, uh, self-learning, um, I think that's huge. And we mentioned that earlier, just right. like learning whatever you can. Uh, but then being in groups, so we joined a mastermind last October, so we've been in it for um, 14 months maybe. And I, the only thing I ever knew about was uh, cost set, like cost seg, so cost segregation, which uh, would be for your people, uh, the real estate world. I'm not in real estate, but right. cost seg on, on real estate property. And then buying a car, right? You always, you're yeah. just buying a car, you write that junk off and yeah, you're good. Yeah. But then you have, you have different, uh, you have a depreciating, uh, not even an asset, really. It's a... Um, um, opposite of asset really is what it is. Yeah. But then you have the assets that are depreciated, like a housing, like, like rental, uh, and then cost segregating in that it's making money. Same thing with, uh, equipment rentals, right? Like you can buy dump trucks and, and then let somebody rent them out for you and you're getting all that depreciation, but it's still cash flowing. You're getting right. some kind of an asset. So what we started doing once we learned this group is I didn't know you could pay no taxes if you invest correctly. Uh-huh. So the way that they teach it is partner with the government because no matter what, you're partnered with the the government on every transaction you do. They're your business partner that's going to take their percentage no matter what. You know what I'm saying, dude? Say that again. That is yeah. So, I've <laughs> never heard anybody say yeah, that, bro. And I don't. I, this, I don't know if I love it. <laughs> yeah. So your business but partner. That's the way the world works. It honestly. is, dude. I if never, you're a W two yeah. employee, employee, you're partnering with the government because they're getting their cut no matter what. They they have a percentage ownership. Every business you do, every house you sell, every house you flip. So the best way to do it is if 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 you look at the government as a partner. Okay, well, what are you going to give me tax deductions on? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, so solar's big right now. So you have these solar. So they're like, hey, you partner with us and do these things that we're asking. We're going to give you a lot of deductions to take off right. your taxes. Same thing, uh, we have ATMs, oil and gas funds and stuff we do now. But all that is equipment you, that you're- You want to buy an electric car? You yes, part, you're going to you, get- Or you want to buy a car, yes. partner with us. We want you to buy an electric. Yes, there's or a 6,500-pound car or, or greater. Yeah. Um, so there's, okay. yeah, there's different things. And I think if you- grasp that concept of the government is a business partner and you want to, you're in this contract with them, but you want to work out the deals to where it benefits you the best, right? Cause that's how everybody works. Um, I think you just got to learn those things. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think, and that's what opened my eyes. So we've invested in ATMs. So now we have ATMs across uh, the U S we have oil and gas out in Texas and Wyoming, um, and all those are, uh, depreciate, uh, we can write the depreciation off because it is an, uh, equipment on the oil field. So they bring you in as a GP general partner. Um, and then you drop down to a LP. So, uh, limited partnership. Some people get weird on that. Like if something happened and you're a GP for that one year period to get your deduction and something happened to the company, can they come after you? And there are some things, you know, you just kind of got to do your own due diligence on that, mm-hmm. but there's some weird things, but yeah, man. So, so the tax thing, dude. I'm I'm pretty sure I talked to my accountant uh, Q4, you know, a couple of weeks ago at the end of the year, and I was just like, "Where are we at? How are we looking?" He's like, "Bro, you're straight." And I was like, well, "What about next year?" And he's like, "You're straight." And I was like, Let's right, "What about year three? Yeah, I was like well, year three. But the thing That's is, too, great. is like, is as you're getting this money and you invested in the correct thing. So I think you have to when you do any investment, the way that we look at it now, is are we looking for cash flow because one of our KPIs that that we do as a family is passive income okay so you you look at your what do I need do I need to raise my passive income do I need tax deductions um, you never let the tax tail wag the dog is a, is a phrase so you don't want to just jump in this just for the tax uh, it, you know advantage and then your cash flow sucks or or something like that so you got to kind of figure out what your investment style is and why you're even doing that investment is it just to to hard money lend and get some cash built up and then to invest or something. You know what I'm saying? So it's like every investment we do, we look at it um, outside of due diligence, but why would we even consider this investment? Like, what do we really need? Because you don't always need money. You know, sometimes you need, I mean, I don't want to pay taxes, bro. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my goal is not to pay. I've always said the the first part of the game is learning how to make the money. Yes. And the second part is learning how to keep it. That's huge, dude. And, and and there's like this there's like this level I feel like you hit um to where you're making this money, you're growing all this cash, but then you hit this mark and, and we talked about it, I think before the podcast about the accredited investor versus uh the non-accredited. Once you hit that accredited investor thing, bro, it's like it starts going more like exponential mm-hmm. uh, growth. It's it, like fuel on the fire. It is, man. It's yeah, it's yeah. weird, but you you you're it's like you're building this goal to get to this mark, and then this mark just exponentially pushes you even faster. Maybe that's so, cool. Um, so, so it's pretty cool, man. It's it's my mind's been blown with it. Just like the growth and things like that. I think um, it's a big thing. I feel like since last time we connected, you're at a totally different level. Like, where do you feel that mindset that? shift in understanding has it just been a natural progression or has there been one specific catalyst that has facilitated a lot of this growth i think the reason we have so many businesses under our holding company now i think is 
I would say partially boredom. Like, like, like. I mean, in a way, you <laughs> just know the saying? game. Yeah, of it. it is. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, game. Yeah. It's like uh, that's the whole reason I started photography. Mm. It's just like, can I do this and do it well, or, or uh, the gym, it was, everything that we bought or, or sold or, or whatever. Um, but now I feel like we we have a whole different mindset shift of of like we talked about earlier, our why, like what is this? Is it just to feel this need of like, let's grow something? Or is it like, what is our why behind it? Because at this point, financially, we're not mega rich, but but we're super comfortable, man. Like I, I probably work 15 hours a week or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So it feels like retirement. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm able to come here, spend time with you and nothing's pressuring me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, we don't need the financial thing for life now. We're trying to make our hundred year goal right now. So it's like, I think you have to think long term and big of, of what you really want. Once you get this certain financial thing in, in your set, you're like, okay, this, this I'm good. Um, so now our KPI, like I mentioned earlier, is, is passive income. So we're like at seventy five percent of our our the way that this is calculated to just kind of give some references like your budget. So what your house is, uh, or your you know run your household, you get that number, and then you're building up passive income to. Uh, match that number, then you go 200%. So we're at mm-hmm. like 75%. Um, and that's a KPI that we measure with our mastermind. So okay. every month um, we'll have a call and, hey, what's your KPI? Like, where are you at on your passive income and stuff like that. So I think being around those people and seeing things so different, mm-hmm. um, like we mentioned earlier, just hanging out with people that are on next level, I think that's the big thing. Does help the growth. Dude, it's helped yeah. it's, Because since we joined in October of like, like uh, 14 months we've been in, We've had over six-figure growth in that short time period. It's and, and a lot of it was saving money on taxes, you know what I'm saying, because you're paying money on taxes. And, and that's the thing, too. But that like, network opened the conversation so many to doors. those. Yeah. To the, yeah, 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 I think people – and I got to that point, man. I was like – I had uh, my buddy that I'd done a lot of businesses with. Me and him started going separate paths, and, and I needed people around to keep growing because – if I look at what we have, I can be comfortable and be like, this is all we need. And it is. But I think you got to figure out what do you, to me, I'm as a Christian, I'm like, why would God want to bless us more unless we're stewarding this well and giving back more? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Um, well, I think too, like when you talk about some of the financial planning and the hundred year plan and passing down, you know, legacy to your kids and their kids, you know, it's, there's part of it that you could, in theory, say, I just want another beach house. I want to travel to France. And not that those things are bad, but in in excess, we both know that ultimately that's not going to fulfill you. Nothing. Nothing. And and so, you know, you guys are still like, yeah, we probably have a nice, you you got nice cars. You probably live comfortably. You only have to work 15 hours. You got freedom of time, which is, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, one of the biggest key marks of success is having freedom of time. Um, and you getting to choose what you want to do with your day. Um, but that said, like you're choosing to take that excess and build out something rather than, oh, I just want another yacht. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and believe me, like like we've got goals like for – we talked about this. Like we're going skiing next week. I know yeah. you are as well. And, and I want a house in Breckenridge someday. Yeah. To me, it's not. I want you to have one yeah, as well, right, yeah. so, so that I can. <laughs> but like, we're, we were talking the other night, and this is this is like me and Brittany's conversations at home, okay? And and we mentioned this about dreaming bigger than what what I've been dreaming. And we look at this property, and and we're talking about buying. I think it's like thirty acres, and 
but the guy that's doing the property, it's like 400 acres. Mm-hmm. And like, we would be happy with this small plot, but man, I want to have a, a lot more. And me and Brittany were talking about building. It'd be cool if we had like a cabin on the property to invite couples or, or people that are going through a hard time being like, hey, come out here, stay for free. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And just enjoy the peacefulness of being outside, you know? So it's like our heart in me and Brittany's heart isn't to to have the biggest and baddest things for our enjoyment. It really is, man, to to our kids and grandkids and other people, man. I think giving back, you just there's not enough give back you can do without seems like getting just blessed more, you know. So it's like it's a fun thing because you're like. It just keeps growing. Dude, I'm on a board at Hargis. I don't know if you, it's a Christian camp. Yeah, yeah so I've been a, super impressed with what they've been doing. Dude, I saw wrong. they just got funded. Like no, we they, just paid their off the, goal. Yes. Got this hit. is 2.5 million. Um, paid it off in, I think it's like two and a half years, something like that. But that has been the coolest thing to be a part of. Um, uh, sitting on the board, you're seeing this and seeing Aaron, the guy who's operating his vision and what the Lord has told him, and seeing. Well, we have conversations just like a business where you're like, okay, well, if this doesn't get funded, how do we effectively pay this loan off? Yeah. And then God comes through every freaking time, man. And you're just like, it, it, it's so cool just being around that mm-hmm. because I'm like, this is how he, op- to me, he operates in every way. Not saying it's going to be easy. You're not saying it's handed to you. There's a lot of hard work, but it's, it's it goes back to stewardship to me as, as how you're stewarding this little bit we have. Like a big thing is to, to me is like, if you, if you, talk to 10 people and you're like, Hey, what is your household budget? I would say a lot of those people are not going to be able to say, this is exactly what it costs to run my house. Yeah. To me, I know that. Um, and I think that's important. Like if I can't run my family as a company and have a profit margin, Mm -hmm. how can I run a a company that I have employees and all this other stuff? You know what I'm saying? It's so good, man. That's so good. So what are some of the takeaways that you have learned on this journey of starting businesses, selling businesses, all that kind of stuff? Give me some 30,000-foot view lessons you've learned. I think a lot of it, I think we've covered a lot of them, but just to kind of recap, I think the people you're surrounded by is huge. Um, even if you have somebody on the same level at some time and you want to go further, you've got to kind of still be friends if you want to, of course, but you've got to kind of start doing business elsewhere and growing with more different people. Um, that was a big thing for me because you get to a point where it's like somebody else might not want growth or, or they're completely comfortable, but you feel called to be better or, or in a different place. Um, and then being around those type people. Um, so I'd say that's very important. Number one would be who you surround yourself with. I think two is stewardship. I think it was like once we, figured out stewardship and, and why we ha- we had wealth and, and what we did with it, that pushed us so far to the next level. And I think it was just knowing numbers, honestly. I think it was just what we do with our money. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, are we blowing it on just vacations all the time or, or are we spending it, investing it wisely? Because everybody that's listening wants to be in investing or wants to have this passive income. I think, too, like thinking about y'all's journey and, you know, there's probably some people who look at y'all and are like, they just blew up overnight. Bro, it was so and much work. And it's like, bro. it's so much work. <laughs> it you is. You know, it's so much work. There's so much behind the scenes. There's so many extra nights, you know, where you're 
probably working at the salon, getting things wrapped up from a busy day when you didn't have the extra help, you know, and so many times of pouring over numbers on spreadsheets. I mean, and to get to a place where on any given week, if you don't need to, you can chill work. Out. Yeah, you yeah. can chill out for a little bit. But um, that was a journey of a ton of hard work Blood, and, sweat and tears, bro. a lot of risk. A lot of, yeah. a lot of, a lot of choices to push into the fear, yeah. and um, and so this is like incredibly inspiring. You know, I, I jokingly say this podcast. I've said it more than once. Like it's selfish, <laughs> like because I gain <laughs> yeah, so much from to, these yeah. conversations, and I'm like walking away from this conversation super inspired. Um, also realizing that I need to have Brittany on now because yeah. she probably <laughs> is the true, dude, Brittany, true mastermind uh, of a lot of this. Yeah, she jumped on a pod the other day. Uh, it was Thomas's, and, and I was on, and then he was looking for some female business people. Brittany's very – she's very wise. Yeah. Um, she's introverted, but she's very smart. Um, yeah. In our, our business partnership, where she's a big dreamer. She'll dream these crazy things, and then I'm like the implementer. So, like, she'll have this huge dream – I'll tell you off air, like one dream she has, but it's so big that I'm like, how can I make that work eventually? Um, so it, we work out perfect together because I'm like having to figure out how we're going to make this happen. And then she's like the dreamer. So it's like, it's like this perfect business partner, you yeah. know, of just dwelling, you know, just creativeness. <laughs> I don't know. It's good. Man. <laughs> no, it's I mean, like, I think every, every visionary needs an implementer. Yeah. Tell me this, how have y'all balanced, you know, the, the romantic, you know, marriage side of things with, you know, kiddos and all that with being also business partners? Was that difficult yeah, at good, times? That's is a good it, question. Yeah. It is was, it always difficult? You're like, no, at times, yeah, it's yeah. still difficult yeah. some days. Um, um, so, man, when we first opened, so, so I was going from working six days a week to um, still working, but taking care of kids, almost like mom duty in some way, you know? Um, our conversations those first couple of years would we'd go on date nights and start talking about business. And then finally we had this conversation of like, look, when it's our time, no business gets discussed. Now, don't get me wrong, like if, if something's going on or or and we need to talk, we would hundred percent talk at home. But I would say two percent of our conversations inside our home revolve around a business you know what i'm saying it's, it's nothing it's nothing that that we do now now we did struggle with that in the beginning because in my head i was like dude every freaking date we go on we're gonna be talking about business yeah this is gonna suck you know well i would i would assume it's like the gym yeah when you first start yeah you're weak your muscles aren't developed yeah. all that kind of stuff your relationship you know isn't developed at that place but now you guys have been doing it for so long you have those boundaries yeah you know how to hey we're cutting it off this is the home Let's let's have it about the family, about us. Like you know, let date night be about date night. You know. Yeah, and I think the the only thing we'll talk about business, like if we're doing an investment, I'll talk to my my son about it. He's thirteen, and and our daughter, and we'll kind of pull people together, or like our family together. Not that they necessarily understand all the investment, but just I want them to understand what this family does, like what the yeah. Sandrettos do. Um, I think that's very important. So we'll have conversations like that, but nothing major pressing and we have a good team man that that manages so we're pretty straight on most of that stuff dude that's good. great yeah. tell me a little bit i mean i feel like we could sit here for two hours oh, we I might can, i can keep rocking three bro. hours <laughs> I, mean, I ain't got nowhere to be <laughs> um how what is your plan what's y'all's plan to give that information that training that heart to your kids that's, because yeah, that's good 
because, you know, there's that cycle that a lot of people talk about is, you know, from prosperity mm-hmm. <laughs> comes poor choices yeah. and the poor choices create hard times. And from hard times, you hard create hard people yeah. who ultimately create prosperity. Yeah. And it's the cycle. It's a cycle. And, and when Amy and I talk and, and I'm often thinking, I'm like, I want my kid's life to be a little bit easier in some ways than mine was yeah. in some ways. But then I look back, like I was talking about early work. Like I was slinging, you know, burritos at Taco Bell at 14, Oh wow. you know, yeah. just learning work ethic. Yeah. I mean, I, at that time you could only work for three hours a day. You probably still as 14 years old, yeah, 14 years old, there's, there's like, a requirement. <laughs> um, and so I would ride my bike. It was like 15, 20 minutes. I would ride my bike down the down to the Taco Bell. I made four seventy five an hour, and I worked three hours because that was my max. And then I ride my my bike home. I was homeschooled, so I I had the opportunity to work. And I worked lunch shift, so I literally worked the hardest hours yeah. of the shift, no break. Um, but I learned a lot through that process, and I think it built in me a work ethic that I want my kids to have. Yeah. But it came from a place of, like, if I didn't make money, my parents weren't giving me money. Like, they didn't yeah. have a ton. So if I wanted extra, I had to go, go work. earn it, you know, at four seventy five an hour. It took a lot um, of earning. It <laughs> took a lot of earning. But all that to say is, I, I don't have the solution. I'm begging the question of people who are ahead of me. And how do you instill that in your kids so that when they get these, you know, funds that are that are going to be endowed to them because of y'all's great right. planning, that they use them wisely and do the same as you would want them to do, which is bless others? That's a great question. So I think, so out of the four <laughs> kids, so we have a 16-year-old, 13-year-old, uh, six and five. So the six and five, um, you know, there's only so much understanding. We did. Buy, just trying. You're just trying to keep them alive. Trying to keep them alive. <laughs> so uh, there's there's two board games that I would get depending on the age of your kids. Uh, it's called it's Robert Kiyosaki's Cash Flow. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the the little version, and then we have also have like the adult version, whatever. Um. So on our board meeting, uh, we went to the beach this summer, and we did our first like board meeting as a family. So we we took like probably I don't know four or five hours out of the day to uh, we played the game went over all our business structure, how everything's structured. Um, I don't think they understood every bit of it, but uh, at least it, we got some knowledge going that way. Planting um, seeds. Yeah, some kind of a planting, planting seeds. Um, yeah. So as an entrepreneur, I want all my kids to be entrepreneurs. I don't want them to go to college. Um, but if they choose to, that's totally cool. If the, if there's a reason they're going, like what are you going to college for to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, you know, something that you really have to have a degree for. Um, I'm totally behind that. I'm totally cool with that. So my 16-year-old and my 13-year-old, they go to, uh, they'll go this week and actually to Birmingham, we have an inner circle live. So they'll talk to non-accredited people, still wealth without Wall Street, my group, but, um, and they'll show them different ways to make money when you're not accredited. And there's tons of ways too on that. But anyway, so it kind of gets them in that, those rooms. And we did one in Nashville, uh, at the end of the year and we'll do this one uh, as well and just get them around those type people. So my son, my daughter works at the salon and she's not super entrepreneurial. Um, so I'm not really sure how she's going to play out in that role of, of doing everything. Now my son, he's more entrepreneurial 
um, like he started a business in our neighborhood. We live in a subdivision and you take your trash bins out. And so he did like a $20 a month. He'll do your service for you. Like pull them from the house, put them on the thing, put them wow. back you know, after the trash pickup. I bet he got a couple customers. <laughs> yeah, he did. And, and I think it's, um, it helped him to kind of realize like, oh, wow, you can make money doing this. He wants to be an entrepreneur. He's like, I want to do what you do. Uh, talking about me. Um, he didn't want to work for somebody else in our trust to be, provided for um as children we have a item in there to to where they have to uh work at one of our companies for a year before they're even uh, allowed to pull from the trust or have anything like that um so yeah so i think just having them around those people i think bringing them the good thing with this group there's a lot of uh i'd say 13 to 17 year olds that are uh, sons and daughters of our members that are already doing uh, investment stuff um, and making cash. So having them around and this year, they're doing a kid's portion to where it's like, uh, I think 13 to 18 oh, and they'll have their cool. own room. Everything's kind of not dumbed down, but more understanding for a younger person. So I'm excited about taking them to that. But I think just being around those people of being like, hey, I have free time and I want to control my own schedule and, and what I really want out of life. Do I want freedom or do I want to work, you know, W2? Um, that's going to be a, ultimately a decision they're going to have to make. I think for us as parents, the best thing that we can do is bring them in every conversation we have. Because uh, having those financial conversations, like I mentioned earlier, it was like, it was like a taboo. So sex and uh, money was always like a taboo in my house growing up. Like, like I don't know what my parents made. It was never a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we never talked about sex. It was like even when we were dating, it wasn't like a – and so in my house, we have an open policy on, on anything sex, anything money. It's just like we won't – that conversation to flow freely. You want it to be through you, not yeah, not outside somewhere else. Of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> and this worked, you know, as good as it is. Like sixteen. I mean, we've had some, we had some rough seasons, you know, of her just trying to find her place. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So I think every kid's going to be a little different, man. I think it's. I don't like the younger two. I don't even know what they're going to be like, you know. Yeah. But I'm scared as well of that because our younger two, the the six and five, have a lot more financially than my older two did because we were growing the businesses when they were young. So they, it's like, they remember those early yeah, years. Yeah, that's working all the time. <laughs> so so I think we'll have two different generations of, of how we're going to teach possibly. You know, I'm not really sure on that. I think so. That's really good. I, I, you know, I was, I was privy to this, this conversation about happiness not to say that happiness is the ultimate goal, but it is, you know, I think it's, it's good, to, yeah, it's to, good to have some happiness sometimes. sometimes. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be happy all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's directly related to almost your, um, the circumstances are what you compare yourself to. Oh, yeah. So, for example, you're going to be a lot happier. And maybe why we talked earlier about the, you know, the person who comes over from maybe a less fortunate country to here and they, they work really hard because their circumstances and their context of what their expectations are, um, are just drastically different than, than my expectations even. And so actually, actually that was the quote. It was like your, your happiness is derived basically the difference between reality and your expectation. That's true. And, and so I, I want to figure out, too, I love everything that you added um, to say, and 
And it's like, how do you take the kids, you know, your first generation, we'll call them, <laughs> of kids, their expectation is different yeah, for sure. than the second generation of kids. Right. So they have this context, and how do, you, how do you get them in situations that their expectations are lowered on what the expectancy of life should look like and the comforts of life should be, you know? Um, and that's why sometimes, like, I don't shy away from... You know, my son wants a, a mobile watch, you know, that, that he can be able to text and stuff. And a lot of kids in the neighborhood have it. I don't shy away from the f- the fact that I'm not buying you one. Right, yeah. You know, and but if you he can, worked for it, would you? Like, like if, if he, he worked for it, yeah. Idea, yeah. Yeah, if he came up with a... Hard work on, pays off. Yeah, yeah, if he did, I would definitely reward that. But in general, you're just... Not, I mean, I could afford it. Right. I could give the service. Honestly, sometimes it'd be more convenient for me because yeah, I could reach like, out and be like, yeah. hey, come home for dinner, <laughs> you know. Um, but on the flip side, it's like, I don't need him to fit in all the time. Right, yeah. Like, there's okay with some conflict with today's society because I think a lot of what today's society is doing for our kids is actually not good. 100%. And so... Um, so, yeah. I think a big thing with that is we've, ever since they've been young kids, we've always say Sendretos are different. It's good. We don't do, um, and some people might think this is weird, but like we don't let our kids spend the night outside of our house. They can have friends over, they can party at our house, do whatever, but I mean, not do whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's not those thing. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so I think Sendretos, we use our name, and I think everybody should use their last name as something uh, powerful something big, you know, I saw this video the other day and this guy, I can't remember who it was, it was on Instagram as a short, but he was like, I don't let any of my kids wear somebody else's Jersey. Cause they're never going to wear somebody else's last name on their back. And I was like, That's I cool. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like our, our name, I think, you know, last names used to mean so much back in the day and, and, mm-hmm. and now in America it's not as much, but I think just having, letting them know that they're coming from a place that's different and they're not going to act like the world, you know, and trying to teach that. Um, we also implemented, which is an amazing book. It's super short read. It's called 18 Summers. And it, it's essentially like saying, hey, you have 18 summers with your kids. Mm. And so you set up, um, they call them family board meetings. Uh, so we have four kids. So every quarter I take one kid individually for like half a day and we go do stuff. So like me and my son went zip lining in North Alabama, me and my daughter uh, top golf, you know. So it's like, trying to spend that time. And then during that time, there's no cell phones, no uh, electronics, but you're getting to know the heart and let them talk and, and asking good questions, you know, like what fears do you have or, or what, what stresses you out right now? And, and you know, at 16 and 13, different stressors are different, you know, different ages have different stressors. And um, I think having that communication and being real tight, because when my kids, I don't want 18 summers, I want until I die summers, you know what I'm saying? I want mm-hmm. them to always come back and I want my family to be close. So like even last night we were riding home from my parents after the game and uh, my oldest daughter was like, hey, what siblings, she was talking to other siblings of like, what siblings do you dislike the most? I was like, hold on. I was like, <laughs> this is a dangerous this conversation. House, I was like, I was like, in this house, <laughs> we don't dislike any of our siblings. Like our siblings are our team. Yeah. You can say, you know, I might like like hanging out with somebody more than the other, or, or I have more fun with this one at certain times. But as Sandretos, we don't bash anybody in our family. You know what I'm saying? Like every kid's going to speak good about their siblings, and I think yeah. that's important too. That's good. Um, and I learned that from the domains. They're 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 always they're, that was their big thing um, of just the kids speaking good things over each other and stuff like that, having each other's back. That's but like, I, th- I think 
to create that family that I want, you know, in the future when everybody's moved out, I think is, is going to be how close and how team they are now, you know, and just pushing that through their adult years, you know. So good, man. Yeah. Well, dude, this has been a wealth of knowledge and fun, just man. inspiring. And, you know, I think, like I said, I, I could sit here for another two hours. Oh, we I may have to do episode <laughs> do rocks episode and two. <laughs> you know, maybe bring your wife and have yeah. her share some. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's so great to be stretched and to, like, like I said, like already I'm just, I'm like, I want to get off this episode and just start writing down, like, <laughs> yeah. my dreams aren't big enough, you know, just yeah. like, just kind of like, what is, what does the future look like? And, um, you know, it's, it's just incredible for, um, I don't know, I'm just walking away inspired. And selfishly, that's why I do this podcast is because I think every conversation informs growth, informs potential, informs um, better decisions. And uh, this is touched on not just the business side of things or management of money or taking risks, but like so much personal um, vision and growth and stuff. So I appreciate the time. And Thanks for having me, bro. It's been, it's fun. been huge. So sure. best of luck in 2024 and everything you can put your hand to. And uh, yeah, man, enjoy, enjoy the time. Thank you.